Okay, and here we go. So much to talk about today. Really Indeed. Murder, she said. Murder. Yes. A lot of murder mystery stuff. And tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day, so, you know, we're going to do kind of a two-in-one. I thought I'd talk a little bit about a um, couple of things like Irish movies and stuff nice. like that. Okay. Well, maybe not so much Irish movies, but St. Patrick's Day themed, you know, sure. and just things like that. So that sounds nice. Okay, cool. I, I'm down for that. Sure. You know, <laughs> we're both a little recovering from a cold. Yeah. So yeah. The voices may be a little rougher than we're used to. Tis true. Yeah. Yeah. True. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, I can sing bass and uh, oh. <laughs> that's always fun. <laughs> Daddy sang bass. Mama sang tenor. <laughs> I don't know why that old song came into my head and just Stadler's. It does. It usually does. That's fine. Yep. Okay. All that's coming up on Couching Coffee Table. Stay tuned. <laughs> Please. <laughs> this is Couch and Coffee Table. I'm Michael Perry. I'm Heather Perry. And we're going to run uh, an episode from the Weird Circle today. Uh, it's The Murders in the Rue Morgue. It's by Edgar Allan Poe, and it originally aired January 2nd of 1944. And we're giving a little bit of an intro for that, and we're going to run the episode, and we're also going to talk a little bit about Irish movies, so full package today. Um <laughs> uh, for Edgar Allan Poe facts, I will now turn it over to my wife, Heather. <laughs> Yay, Edgar Allan Poe. All right, this was published in 1941. And uh, please do excuse the rust in my voice today. And I really want to talk about the orangutan. <laughs> um, yeah, Edgar Allan Poe and his monkey business. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. You, you had to. You had to. But we'll have to talk about it more after the... Uh, after the episode, indeed. Yeah. So not um, to give anything away. This uh, this particular story is often regarded as one of the fathers of detective fiction. Uh, actually, Edgar is regarded as one of the fathers of detective fiction. So Monsieur Dupin is the detective here, and you may notice some character similarities to later detectives. And uh, this story and the purloined letter are both Dupin mysteries. So uh, keep that in mind as you listen. And uh, I first encountered this in, in like middle school. Oh. I was a huge Poe fan. And so uh, I read anything I can get my hands on. And I took this very much at face value. And of course, at the time I was reading a lot of other detective fiction uh, my, my, one of my parents was really into murder mysteries. Um, I thought they were taking notes for later, but, um, <laughs> so mm. I was, I was kind of familiar with, with a lot of different detective style stories. And, um, so I, I very much took a lot of this story at face value, uh, same way with the purloined letter and actually very similarly with the gold bug, which is not a detective story at all yeah i didn't think it was it's not um vincent price does a really good 
really good rendition of the gold bug. Yes, yes. You should learn that sometime if you can. Um, the the spoken word gold yeah. bug. Yeah. We I I like to think that we could. Yeah, we'd have to double check on the copyright yeah, date, etc. If well, twist permission. my arm to do anything by Vincent or Orson Welles or anybody I like know. that. I mean, and Vincent you know. and Bo are just a match. They are. Roger <laughs> Corman thought so. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Sets and all. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's a good story. Uh, it certainly held my attention when I was younger. Hearing it again today before before doing this particular episode. Mm -hmm. um, there's several points I wanted to, to touch on, but it's, it's best if we do that after you've heard it. Yeah. Um, there's, there's just a lot to, there's a lot to pick apart. This particular story is somewhat notorious in circles of, uh, Poe scholars, uh, a company that I am not a part of, um, on that scale, I would say I am, I am very much low on the totem. I'm a Poe fan, but that doesn't mean I really know a whole lot about what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm an avid reader, but this is, yeah, I'm, I am not a Poe scholar by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, me neither. Me neither. I think I first came across this particular story, I want to say either junior high or high school. Yeah. And a lot of that was just, it was, I think it's in a collection of complete tales and poems of Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. Is where I first came across, mm -hmm. across it there. And... I'm not sure if that was condensed or not, as I haven't well, went back to take a look at it in a long time. But I, I like the story, um, and I, 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 I love Poe anyway. I, I'm not as familiar with his work as I'd like to, but I would say the same thing about H.P. Lovecraft and yeah. several other authors who, when their names come up, I just go, "Oh yes, I love that work," but. If you try to pin me down and say, what's your favorite poem? What's your favorite story? Right. You know, there's there's certain ones that come to mind because with Poe, everybody knows the Raven. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Ones that uh, kind of mainly because of Vincent Price and Roger Corman, the ones that come to mind for me are Fall of the House of Usher and Pit and the Pendulum mm -hmm. are two very high marks as far as the films go stories i haven't gone back to look at pit and the pendulum in a long time those are for me when i was a kid reading them those were hard to chew through because um the picture painted in both both follow the house of usher and that i often confused with hawthorne's house of seven gables okay i can see that yeah thematically that you know there is a dark spot yeah. at the heart of the house yeah yeah um also, his uh, post story is, is it Beatrice with teeth? I think it's Beatrice. Maybe. Uh, I'd have to look it up. Yeah. We'll do that in the break. Yeah. Um, Beatrice. Uh, so stuff is underlying the surface. Mm -hmm. And there are undercurrents in the story. There's, uh, there's intrigue. There's nuance. And there's subterfuge. And as a kid... That was hard for me to pick up on. Um, the uh, the other one uh, you mentioned. Pit, Pit and the Pen Pendulum. Yeah. yeah. That was a little more straightforward, but I didn't quite understand uh, the framing of the story because I, I hadn't really gotten a lot of information 
about the Spanish Inquisition. Mm, okay. So okay. that one always makes me think of uh, Franz Kafka's, um, one of his famous stories with the Haro. Because you start with a prisoner and the prisoner is in a machine. Ah, you're not talking about the trial, are you? I don't think it's the trial because it okay. starts, okay. he's on the machine. Mm, and the okay. trial has already happened in them. Oh, all right. It's not the same character. But the Haro, he's, he's strapped down face down on this machine in the Kafka story. And the, the machine is carving his sentence into his back with needles. Okay. And that that's the torture that he's been sentenced to. Mm, scarlet letter then. But a lot more bloody. Ah, okay. Yeah, Hester Prynne just had to embroider things. Okay. Um, this guy gets gets his sentence carved into his flesh. And I forget I forget the ending of that, if he is released or if he dies. Um, but, yeah. So Pit and the Pendulum and the Haro are, uh, that's not probably what it's called. I'll have to look that up, too. Those always struck me as thematically very similar. Oh, okay. Um, so not not as easy to chew through uh, for, yeah. for a kid. Um, I always liked any story with a cat in it. So yeah, the black cat, but the you know the kitty doesn't fare too well in that one, and that always made me sad. Yeah, because again, I was in middle school, <laughs> so <laughs> you know how dare you? How dare you hurt the kitty? Um, I think one of my favorite poems is uh, A Sonnet to Silence. Mm. And actually, I only like one half of the sonnet, <laughs> which is <laughs> which is funny. But there is there is a particular line that used to always make me feel very calm. Oh, really? And I would read it before, like I did competitions in, in high school. So I would read the poem before I would go into competitions uh, because it made me feel calm. Mm, okay. And uh, I am such a nerd. <laughs> how, I mean, how ridiculous can you get? I think deep down with a lot of personal things with people, there's a lot of things that we keep close to the heart that a lot of people won't talk about because secretly we're all nerds. That's a nicer view. That's secretly a, we're all nerds. That's a nicer view. Me and my little peppercorn heart. <laughs> closet goth adjacent <laughs> oh but this is a good this is a good rendition um i liked how it's performed so please enjoy it uh did you have anything else you wanted to say before we start uh no i think that's pretty much it it's a little bit of background on poe and the story you handled that very beautifully i want to say that on air <laughs> um but other than that yeah let's let's get into it um uh, we'll get you everywhere so. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so without further ado, here is The Weird Circle and their adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe's Murders in the Rue Morgue, as it aired on January 2nd, 1944. You're listening to Couch and Coffee Table. We'll be right back after the show. Sea, we are met 
to call from out the past stories strange and weird. Bellkeeper, pull the bell so all may know we are gathered again in the weird circle. ask you to come to my humble apartment tonight to endeavor to stun you with my superior knowledge of crime and criminals, I've asked you here only to prove to you that the murders in the Rue Morgue present no great insoluble mystery. Monsieur Dupin, if you think the case is so obvious, tell me, who is the murderer? He will be here shortly, Monsieur le Prefect of Police. Here? Who is it? The murderer here. Gentlemen, I give you my word as a man of honor that he will be here in my apartment at precisely 10 o'clock this evening. How can you be so sure? I have asked him to come. It is exactly 9 o'clock now, gentlemen. And in the hour remaining to us before we meet the murderer, I shall explain to you as simply as I can how I managed to arrive at my conclusion. Yes, you, Monsieur Dupin. I'm always interested in guesswork. Guesswork, my dear fellow? This is not guesswork. No. Now, gentlemen, let us retrace the case. The story begins, if I'm not mistaken, with Madame L'Espanay and her daughter Camille on the afternoon of December 16th, 1841. Uh, well, of course, you're correct so far anyway, Dupin. I bow, Monsieur le Prefect. Madame L'Espanay and her daughter Camille entered the Bank of France at precisely 2.45 in the afternoon to transact important business. Ah, Madame L'Espanay, I've been waiting for you. So good of you, Monsieur Le Bon. Have you met my daughter, Camille? I don't think I've had the pleasure. How do you do, mademoiselle? How do you do, Monsieur Le Bon? Are you quite sure, Madame L'Espinay, that you wish to withdraw all this money at this time? Quite positive. But 4,000 francs is a great deal to keep about one's household, madame. I'm quite aware of the danger involved, Monsieur Le Bon. But if the bank keeps this withdrawal quiet, nobody else need know that I have a sum of money in the house. Well, things do get about, madame. There's no use inviting unnecessary danger. The danger is my problem, Monsieur Le Bon. I think we'd better let the matter drop at that. Have you uh, any protection against possible thievery at home, madame? Uh, no, monsieur, but mama and I have protection enough. We bolt and lock our doors. It's absolutely impossible for anybody to enter the house unless he should break the door down. But does any male protector live in the house? My husband died many years ago. Madame misunderstands me. I'm only asking these questions for your own good. Two unprotected women living alone in a large house can invite trouble. Don't that you... is our problem. If Madame insists. And I do insist. Very well, Madame. I have the money here. I myself will see you both home to ensure safe delivery. But let me warn you now. The minute you arrive in your home on the Rue Morgue, the Bank of France resigns all future responsibility. We understand, Monsieur Le Bon. We understand perfectly. 
So, gentlemen, the first step in this little tragedy was completed. Madame Lespanay and her daughter insisted on taking the money home from the bank. Monsieur Lebon drove them in his carriage to their house, the large, bleak house, number 12, Rue Morgue. When they arrived there, Monsieur Lebon looked about for the gendarme who was in charge of that particular block. You out, Mademoiselle Camille. Oh, thank you, Monsieur Lebon. Madame. Thank you. Thank you. Is that the gendarme on the corner, the gendarme usually on this block? Not having had any reason to talk to the gendarme, Monsieur Lebon, I wouldn't know. Yes, I think it is, Monsieur. Gendarme! Gendarme! All this fuss over a little money. Really, you'd think we were incapable of taking care of ourselves. Well, I think Monsieur Lebon is very thoughtful, Maman. Gendarme! Coming, Monsieur, coming. Do you live on the first floor, Madame Lespinay? On the fourth floor, in the back of the house. I own this house, and I've shut up all the other rooms. You mean this entire house is unoccupied you except for... You called me, monsieur. Yes, I did. I want you to keep a special watch on this house for the next week or so. Madame Lespinay and her daughter will have a considerable amount of money in the house. I will watch the house like a watchdog. You would be better off if you did it like a man. Then you'd use your head instead of your feet. Monsieur! What is your name, gendarme? Gendarme Isidore Musée. Very well. Gendarme Isidore Musée. I leave these ladies in your care. You needn't worry about a thing, mademoiselle. And madame. I'm sure we won't. That is, as long as you don't spread the news around the neighborhood that we've got 4,000 francs hidden here in the house. Who, me, madame? I am the law, and your secret is safe with me. <laughs> Come along, Mama. I'm getting hungry. Yes, dear. Thank you so much for all you've done, Monsieur Le Bon. It is nothing, mademoiselle, nothing at all. Just a courtesy extended by the Bank of France. I'll keep good watch. Be assured of that. <laughs> I'll keep very good watch. Gentlemen, gentlemen, let us proceed to the next event. Gendarme Isidore Musée kept a very good watch on number 12 Rue Morgue. At 11 o'clock the evening of the tragedy, he strolled into the shop two doors away from number 12 to buy a pouch of tobacco and to chat with his very good friend Pierre Moreau, a tiny man known as the neighborhood gossip. Uh, good evening, uh, good evening, good evening, friend Isidore, good evening. Good uh, evening. I've been waiting for you, yes, I've been waiting for you. You usually drop in at nine o'clock, and I said to myself, as I sat here waiting for you, I said, uh, where's my good friend Isidore? It's been a busy evening this evening. That's what I said to myself. If Isidore doesn't drop in to buy his usual box of tobacco, he's busy. There must be big news abroad, but then how, how could there be big news abroad on this block? That's what I said. You were wrong, Pierre. Very wrong. Wrong, eh? Uh, there is big news. Thievery? No. Uh, murder? No. Well, then, I give up. It's a secret. Secret. What could be a secret? Somebody got married. That's no secret. Somebody died. That's no secret either. A child is ill, a contagious disease, an epidemic, or Paris will be infected? No. Well, I can't guess. If you promise not to tell a soul... No, not a soul. Well, Madame Lespinier... Yes? ...and her daughter Camille... Yeah. ...have withdrawn 4,000 francs from the bank today... 
and have it hidden in the house somewhere. No. And I must stand on guard. Oh, naturally, naturally. But don't tell a soul. No, not a soul. On my honor, not a single soul is it on my word of honor. I swear it now. And so, by midnight, gentlemen, the entire neighborhood in the Rue Morgue was buzzing. 4,000 francs in the Lespinay household. I hear it was 10,000. Two women all alone. Imagine it. 20,000 francs. I wonder where... And all that jewelry must be a veritable fortune hidden away. Do you know that they say she's got money hidden in every corner of the house? Imagine almost a million francs in that house. I always knew there was something strange about those two women living all alone in a house like that. And in the rear... Fourth floor. Yes, sitting in the bedroom of the fourth floor rear. But while the neighborhood was busy gossiping and chattering, Mademoiselle Camille and her mother were completely unaware of the commotion they had caused. It was almost three in the morning. Camille had just finished undressing, and her mother was sitting in front of the mirror, brushing her hair so that they didn't notice the window opening in back of them. so tired, Mama. Poor Camille. It's been a very busy day. You know, I thought that Monsieur Le Bon was very nice. He seems fairly affable. Oh, Mama, fairly affable. I thought he was perfectly charming. So concerned over us. No man ever gets that concerned over me. Must have been you, darling. <laughs> All men see. <laughs> Mama! Stay calm, Camille. Don't Mama, move. he's got a razor in his hand. Don't move, Camille. Mama, quick. Let's hide. He's coming closer. Where, Camille? Where shall we go? Into the closet, Mama. Oh, quickly, Mama, into the closet. Close the door. Mama, he'll break the door down. He'll break the door down, Mama. Watch out, Camille. He's breaking it down. Quite right, gentlemen. Simply ghastly. We fully realize that this is a horrible atrocity, but we must remain factual. While all this was going on on the fourth floor of number 12, Rue Morgue, the gendarme Isidore Musée, the little tobacconist Pierre Moreau, Monsieur Lebon, who, strangely enough, was in the neighborhood at that very moment, and a passerby, a sailor, all four were attracted by the screams of the two women, and immediately tried to break into number 12, uh -huh. Morgue. Now stand back, everybody, while I break the door down. Stand back. This is the gendarme's job. Break it down, Isidore. Break it down. Uh, up. Follow me, everybody. Up these stairs to the fourth floor. Down right Come behind on. you, Isidore. Right, right behind right. you. Down the next flight. Keep going. Wait a minute. Wait. 
Mademoiselle Camille. Dead. Yes. Dead. Dead. Poor girl. Here, help me, somebody. Yes, help me lift her up. Look. Look out this window. Huh? The old woman is lying in the courtyard below. The sailor's right. Absolutely right. She's lying in the courtyard below, dead as a dead fish. Oh, probably twice as dead. Somebody is guilty of this. Somebody. And as a member of the Paris police, I mean to find out who that guilty person is. Yes, gentlemen. Isidore Musée gendarme swore up and down that he would find the murderer. Well, at four o'clock that morning, I was awakened from a sound sleep and called to number 12 Rue Morgue to examine the evidence. Monsieur le gendarme Musée was running around the room destroying the evidence, or at least what little evidence there was, as fast as he unearthed it. The three gentlemen who had been there with him were still waiting round out of a combined feeling of horror and curiosity. The sailor, whose name escaped me, was sitting on what was left of a bed, staring blankly around the room, Monsieur Pierre Moreau, the tobacconist, was watching Isidore Musée, the gendarme, play detective. He played it badly. And Monsieur Lebon was the picture of dejection. I entered the room and gazed about while Isidore supplied me with all the facts in the case, at least from his point of view. And that is exactly what happened, Monsieur Dupin. Very interesting, Monsieur Isidore Musée. And uh, now, gentlemen, I wish to ask just a few questions. Uh, no, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, now, all of you seem to think you heard the voice of the murderer. Yes, yes, indeed. Well, we did definitely. No doubt about it. And uh, you, Monsieur Isidore Musée, you are positive that the murderer is an Italian? Positive, Monsieur Dupin. Absolutely positive. I could tell by his, uh, his intonation. Mm? Do you speak Italian? Oh, no. Definitely not. Have you ever heard Italian spoken? No, monsieur, never. But I imagine... Yes? You imagine what? Oh, I imagine it would sound like that. I see. And uh, you, monsieur Le Bon, you said it was Polish. Definitely Polish, without a doubt. I judge you have lived in Poland a long time yet? No, no, but I heard Polish spoken once. Once? Yes. 
that makes you an excellent judge of the Polish language. Uh, how about you, Monsieur Pierre Moreau? What language did you say it was? Uh, Russian, I thought, uh, but that's only a guess, since I admit, and I admit it very freely, I'm not a man to hedge. Uh, I've never heard a word of Russian in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought so. And how about you, Sarah? I, I thought it was Dutch. I don't speak the Dutch language, but I've heard a considerable amount of Dutch spoken when I was in Holland eight years ago. Eight years ago? Hmm? I, uh, I don't mean to make a suggestion, Monsieur Dupin, but Monsieur Lavon was the only man beside myself who knew about the money being kept in this house. What are you insinuating, Monsieur Musée? Insinuating? <laughs> I'm an officer of the law, and I think it was very peculiar that you should just happen to be in this neighborhood at three o'clock in the morning. Don't you live in this neighborhood, Monsieur Lebon? No, but I have good reason to be here. Oh, so? Suppose you tell us. Well, I was worried about Mademoiselle Camille. I was rather attracted to the young lady. And, well, I had a feeling that there would be trouble over the money. Well, I was in the corner cafe having some tea until about ten minutes before the murder occurred. And then you strolled by the house... On your way home, correct? Quite correct. Now, my tobacco store is open all night. All tobacco stores are open all night, Monsieur Pierre Moreau. I was just walking by. I didn't steal the money. But naturally, nobody stole the money. It's in the safe behind this wall. Huh? Are you positive, Monsieur Dupin? Perfectly obvious that the money hasn't been touched. These murders were far too cruel to be instigated by man's greedy desire for financial reward. Here, let me open the safe and show you. I, uh... Happen to know an interesting combination that will open any safe. <laughs> I should have been a thief. So, there. That ought to open it. Oh, it did. Naturally. Now, look. There's the 4,000 francs, safe and snug as a 4,000 franc group of notes should be. Well, perhaps Monsieur Lebon was interrupted in the midst of his thievery. Perhaps he, he, he didn't have time to finish. Well, nonsense. Monsieur Lebon was with you when you walked up the stairs. Well, an accomplice, perhaps. No, 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 Monsieur Isidore Musée. Let me show you something. Look at the fingerprints on this girl's neck. Very strong, heavy prints. And very large, too. Why, yes. The murderer must have been a giant. His hand must have been twice as large as mine, and I have a large hand as hands. Yes, yes. The murderer was a giant. A giant with extraordinary strength. Gentlemen, I think now I have sufficient clues. Uh, look at this window. It's, it's just a window. Yes, just a window with a cord on it. A broken piece of cord. Clue number one. Clue number two. Look. Look at the dead girl's hand. Huh? Why? She has some hair clutched in her hand. Quite correct. And with this cord and this hair... I can find the murderer. Gentlemen, go home. Go home, get a good night's sleep, and I'll hand the murderer over to the prefect of police very soon. Monsieur Dupin, <clears throat> uh, don't forget to mention that I helped you. I'm, I'm due for promotion soon. And so, messieurs, that is the story. And you have the fact. A piece of cord... And some hair. The condition of the room, the strength of the murderer, the passion of the deed, the lack of motivation, should all suggest to you the very same thing it suggested to me. Monsieur Dupin, you are talking in circles. Circles? So? 
You mean to say you still don't know who the murderer is? No, of course I don't know. And frankly, Monsieur Dupin, I don't think you know either. <laughs> really, gentlemen. R really, gentlemen, you, you amaze me. Here. Here, Monsieur le Prefect. Examine this piece of cord, if you will. What do you make out of it? A uh, piece of cord, yes. Uh, well, let me see. Well, it's a piece of... Well, nothing, except that, uh, well, it's it's been torn. Yes, it's been torn. Now, yes. try to tear it yourself. Well, try to tear... Well, I couldn't. It, it, it's a very, very strong cord. Ah. Notice anything else? Yes, now that I look at it, it's got a very unusual knot in it. Uh, but what does an unusual knot prove? You will see what I mean presently. It's the first stroke of ten o'clock. Any minute now, gentlemen... The murderer will enter this room. Uh, may I please ask you to extinguish all the candles in the room, all except one? Oh, uh, why, uh, Monsieur Dupin, we'll all be murdered. Which would be no great tragedy, but I, I wouldn't worry if I were you. Well, as you say, Monsieur Dupin, uh, extinguish the candles, gentlemen. Yes. Now we are in semi-darkness. That is fine. Listen, gentlemen, the downstairs door to my pension has opened and closed. The murderer is now downstairs. He is walking up the stairs. Now listen. Yes, listen. For the love of heaven. Quiet, quiet. He is coming closer. Gentlemen, are you ready to grab him when he enters? Yes, monsieur. That is good. Good. Standing outside my door now, Monsieur le Prefect. Ready, gentlemen? Yes. Come in. Grab him. Oh, let me go. Let me go. There you are. So it is you, sailor. Uh, help the sailor to sit down. Uh, it was a trap, huh? Yeah, but this sailor doesn't look strong enough to commit these murders. Let me go. Let me go. Don't let struggle. me go, sir. Please, please, please don't struggle. <laughs> You see, sailor, uh, Monsieur le Prefect cannot arrest you for the murder because although you are responsible for the crimes, you are not guilty. I'm not guilty. I, I'm not. I, I couldn't help. Of course you couldn't. Gentlemen, it must be obvious to you now that no man murdered these two women. The only creature able to do it would be a Bornese orangutan. Orangutan? I matched these hairs I found in the dead woman's hand, and of course they belong to just such a creature. An orangutan. Yes. Yes, Monsieur Dupin is right. But tell me, how is uh, this sailor involved? I own the animal. Dupin put an ad in the paper saying my orangutan was captured. Well, that's why I'm here, to claim it. But didn't you realize that Monsieur Dupin knew that the murder was an orangutan? No. No, I, I didn't think anyone could solve the murders. But I did know that whoever put the ad in the paper knew that I was the owner of the animal and that he was keeping what he thought was a perfectly innocent animal. You see, I addressed my ad personally to this sailor. This piece of cord told me a sailor owned it. There was a sailor's knot in the cord, and the knot was peculiar to those tied on Maltese vessels. Therefore, when I put the ad in the paper, I asked the sailor from the Maltese vessel, uh, I checked on the name of the vessel from the sailing data in the paper, to come and get the beast. Well, naturally, I, 
I came to pick him up. Ah, now I see. Uh, one question I must ask, sailor. How did the orangutan get hold of a razor, and uh, how did he manage to escape? I... I had the animal locked in my quarters. I... I captured him in Malta and brought him to this country to sell to the zoo. They're, they're very smart, you know. For last night, when I entered my room, he was trying to shave with my razor. When I tried to chain him up, he escaped. He ran out into the streets, saw the light in number 12, Rue Log, climbed up the lightning rod to the ladies' apartments. Well, you know the rest. Indeed we do. Well, gentlemen, if you have any other problems you wish settled, call on me. Just call on Monsieur Auguste Dupin. Incidentally, if you'd like to see the orangutan, you'll find it safely locked up in the zoo. From the time-worn pages of the past, we have brought you the immortal tale, Murders in the Rue Mall. There the This is Couch and Coffee Table. Welcome back. Okay. Let's talk about the monkey in the room. <laughs> Monkeys! Okay. Brass monkey, junkie, that funky monkey. Now that I don't know. Oh, it's Beastie Boys. Okay, that's probably why. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm no, sorry. No, no, no. It's not. I'm not very familiar with their, uh, their it's body from work. <laughs> it's from the album License to Ill for those of you playing at home. Uh, okay, so orangutans. Orangutans. Um, I I I need to start by saying among the post scholars, and I just I just learned about this a couple of years ago, and it was from an internet, an internet meme or an internet story about a fellow going to a Poe convention and being a Poe enthusiast and attending a a, a panel discussion, mm -hmm. and everybody's arguing about particular stories about the room morgue and the fellow stands up in the Q&A section and says, but what about the orangutan? And the entire room goes dead silent. And uh, uh, the, orang uh, the orangutan is, and, and I keep I keep switching between orangutan and orangutan. I'm not entirely sure how to... How to I always pronounced it orangutan. Yeah, I did too. But, okay. um... Monkey. Uh, it's a monkey. This has caused fist fights in in post scholarship world. People people have broken out the, in the pronunciation. No, just the whole the, the monkey in general. What what the oh. purpose of the monkey is? Oh, um, okay. And the 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 crux of the issue is if it's really a monkey, if it's just a monkey, then it's a story about a monkey. But what if it's code for racism? What if the monkey is meant to be symbolizing something else that's horrible and racist 
because this was written in 1841. And it's Poe, and he's an American, and it's 1841, and the Civil War had not happened yet, and he lives in Boston. Um, actually, I don't know where he was living when he wrote this. <laughs> See? Terrible scholar. But um, if, if it's not a monkey, then this is a horrible, horrible racist story. If it is a monkey, then it's a very interesting and clever detective story. When I read it as a child, I took it to be a monkey. So... Yeah, a monkey is a monkey. That's yeah. kind of how I'm looking at it. I just Listening to this broadcast, what comes out to me now as an adult, hearing it again, with this information, because I haven't read it since I heard the, the Poe scholarship right, story. Right, sure, yeah. Um, the point of all of the different people, all of the, the witnesses hear two voices in the room mm -hmm. when they're trying to break in and see the cause of the screaming. They hear two voices and everybody identifies the second voice as speaking a different language. Somebody says it's Polish. Somebody says it's Dutch. It's got to be Italian. No, no, no. It's Gaelic. No, no, no. It's, you know, it's not French because they're in France. Um, but it's always a, a language that the speak, the listener doesn't know well. The guy mm. heard Polish spoken once. So that's probably Polish. It's a babbling sound. It's yeah. it's not quite a language, but it could be a language. It's a weird grunting thing. And um, hearing this in the broadcast, which in the break we were like, hey, this was, this was made 103 years after it was published. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. Um, what, what's brought out to me is that all the listeners are just, are just their ignorance. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't understand Polish was probably Polish. Their own prejudice is what's getting out. And none of the languages picked are, uh, non-white. So, uh, I think that's really interesting. The, the monkey's from Borneo. So then the sailor comes into things and the scene you know, who I forget if he, we, if Poe really goes into detail much about the sailor, but everybody's climbing up the lightning rod and it's just, I, I honestly took it to be a monkey. <laughs> Same. So I feel like if you're going to use that premise and say that the orangutan is a symbolism for racism, and the orangutan is responsible for these deaths, then couldn't you also use that for other detective stories? How do you mean? Well, in the uh, story Death on the Nile, mm -hmm. you know, Praro is almost killed by a cobra. Yeah. So would you say that the cobra is a symbolism for racism? because it tries to kill him or does it only work if he was killed so when i'm talking about racism in the poe story it's not that the monkey symbolizes the act of being racist or the concept of racism it's that a lot of poe scholars are aren't sure he meant the monkey as a stand-in for a black person Okay. And if he did, then it's awful. Mm -hmm. If he didn't, if he meant it just to be a monkey, 
yeah. then it's a detective story about a monkey. It's not a supernatural killing, but it is a character that has superhuman strength. Right. You know, yeah. uh, one of the ladies is stuffed upside down up the chimney. The other one is yeah. chucked out a window and her head's just about knocked off. Uh, yeah. Like yeah. The, as, as it says in the story, her throat is cut so badly that the head falls off when the body's moved. Yeah. Um, so, which actually always made me wonder, like, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It's like the physics of chucking her out the window with a head attached. But then it's yeah. so... Anyway, um, so yeah. I mean, I I like the, I like what you used as far as the analogy that all of them were hearing these different languages and mm -hmm. that their own <laughs> racism, I believe, was yeah. coming out, yeah, mirrored and it's got to be this or it's yeah. got to be that or it's, it's got to, you it's know, othering and it's xenophobia, absolutely, because every single one of the bystanders chooses chooses an ethnicity yeah. that they yeah. aren't familiar with that they probably fear and think is foreign. Yeah, I thought that that was a really good observation by you. And okay. I I like the symbolism behind that because it's just like, okay, if that's the case and that I haven't read the original story in a while, but yeah, if that is also is. in there, then it's something that yeah. Poe, like any writer, an astute observer of human nature saw that, mm -hmm. put that into the story and just said, Hey, look at yourself. Yeah. The deduction that, uh, Dupont do, uh, Dupont, or du, Dupin, Dupin, sorry, Dupont is a chemical company. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Uh oh. <laughs> Pro problematic. <Yeah. laughs> oh goodness. Uh, Dupin. Um, the clues he, he has are uh, the inaccessibility to the, to the, the room, um, so the doors are all locked. Clumps of hair are torn from the older woman's head. The younger woman is stuffed upside down up into the chimney. The brutality of the murder of the older woman and the babbling noises, the, the language but not language that the bystanders don't understand. None of them can agree what language it is. None of them can agree what they heard, but they just heard two voices arguing. Um, and I, it's been too long since I've read the book to know, or the story, to know if anyone could understand what the sailor was saying. Yeah. Because uh, the arguing is the sailor also climbs up the lightning rod and um, tries to coax the monkey out of the out of the rooms. So, uh, one of the, one of the women has clutched in her fist, some hair. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's all of these clues. Like Dupin notices that it takes an extraordinary amount of strength to do all these things. It takes an extraordinary agility. There's a piece of rope with a particular knot in it that he recognizes. And I think this is hilarious and wonderful. He <laughs> recognizes it as a knot only used on vessels that travel, you know, to Borneo and back. The only sailors that, yeah. Yeah. Just marvelous, <laughs> marvelous conceit by yeah, Mr. Poe. Um, and then this this clutch of fur in the, in the woman's hand. Mm -hmm. So uh, modern forensics, you know, you, you can't 
really tell animal hair just by looking at it. I don't think, I don't know, not, not that I've ever been faced with uh, clumps of, of orangutan fur and other yeah. primate fur and say, yes, Heather, pick out which is the primate. Yeah. Um, that's clearly a bear. Put it back. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that, but maybe depend. Good. Um, but it's, it's this deduction that he does. And it's this Sherlock Holmesian, which absolutely Holmes was, was uh, a child of Dupin mm -hmm. in this case. Um, that I think is really, is really interesting yeah. to me. None of those points point to this is a story that that is is about racism or is about a racist principle. But a lot of writing from this period is chock full of racism that I miss because I'm not trained to see it. I'm not trained to uncode it. Um, I don't have enough scholarship to really pick it apart. And I was raised in a society that bloomed from that older time. Yeah. So the same racism is still here. So that might be invisible to me because I was raised with it. It's, it's, it's in the background. And that's terrible. And we're working on it, but we are. And it is a sad state of affairs that that is still here. Yeah. It's still here. And much like what you're saying is we're working on it. And I hope that we can get to a point to where it's no longer it's no longer a thing. It's, there is no longer prejudices, but um, it's just a relic. It, it's very much a relic. And sadly, I feel like that there is a lot in human nature that we haven't gotten through that needs the prejudice. Hmm. Maybe one day we can get through that. I, I hope. I well, hope. I mean, that's the whole Star Trek thing. Yeah. That's the whole Star Trek thing. That's why Star Trek is so hopeful to this idea that we can actually like figure our own shit out yeah <laughs> sorry no it's <laughs> I okay i swear okay. I, I just realized what i said no it's um, all right it's all right so good good story good good piece of history yeah yeah in this in this particular bit of writing good adaptation um i wish we had a write-in forum I, I would love to hear what people think yeah, at some point, hopefully we'll we'll have that. But I got a feeling that things like this, the forum would just be so big. Mm. It, we, we'd almost need another person just to go through and be able to help us respond. I, I would hope. Because it's... <laughs> I, would, I would hope we'd have that much traffic. Yeah, I, I do to too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, goodness. I mean, I've got a lot of mm. other classical pieces of literature that I want to do and some more mystery. I've been focusing a lot more on the classic literature because I've been able to find some really good um, pieces of mystery mm. that I haven't, th there's all mm. kinds of different things that I could do up. There's inner sanctum mysteries. There's all kinds of different things. I really, before the end of this month, want to put up a Sherlock Holmes. Yes. And I found some various different things of Sherlock Holmes, a couple that look pretty strong that I think mm -hmm. I can put up. Nice. I just need to go back and double check oh, uh, the copies. Okay. But uh, I'll, I'll tell you about them uh, once we're done with this episode, okay. because there's, there's a couple that I'm one in particular, I'm really excited about. <laughs> and I'm hoping that uh, I can 
it's a good enough copy that I can put it up. If that's the case, it will be up in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. I don't want to announce it right now because, again, I don't know if it's steadfast or not. But I, I do want to put up a Sherlock Holmes. I'd love to put up an Agatha Christie, but I can't seem to find one mm. that has a... It, it's interesting enough that it's going to hold your attention. There's the There's Crazy. one adaptation that I started to listen to that it just it it just kind of wandered off and i i was i thought that was a shame no i think i think you were playing that the other night yeah for us and yeah it did the pacing was very slow on it yeah and i i I want something that's gonna grab you gonna hold you a little bit better a little difficult to do but i i wanted to circle back just a little bit here sure um Mm -hmm. when we're when we're looking at stories that are difficult uh, because it's, they're older, they're written in a different time period, they're written with different sensibilities, um, or there's there's questionable content in them. Yeah. Uh, and we give a trigger warning or we give a, a heads up. Um, I still think it's valuable to talk about these things. Yeah, I and do too. I think it's valuable to, to unpick as much as we can when we can. Um, certainly, certainly we've, we've, like you and I have gained a lot of knowledge in our lifetimes. Yeah. And what we were raised to think of as normal um, has really changed. It has. You know, just what Michael and I were raised with. uh, We, we come from a small town that is not terribly progressive. And I, I'd like to think we've come, come a ways from that we've got a ways to go but yeah we've come a ways from where we started and there's a disclaimer um that you'll find now in front of uh well my favorite example is in front of warner brothers cartoons yeah yeah and the basic gist is like some of the depictions in these in these cartoons were wrong then and they're wrong now but to pretend that they never existed would be worse yeah. So here they are. They are harmful. They're presented as they were presented then. Yeah. And uh, it's it's kind of a viewer be advised. Situation. Yeah, it is. But it's also mm-hmm. Warner Brothers not straying away from that, mm-hmm. but straight up saying, look, you know, there's going to be some depictions in here that yeah. are going to be very, very questionable. And they're going to be prejudices. They were wrong then. They're wrong now. But to say they didn't ex- say that it never happened is even worse than saying that they than uh-huh. they existed. And I, I agree with that. It's very much Warner Brothers owning up uh-huh. and saying, hey, you know, they were wrong then. They're wrong now. We're not arguing that. But we wish to present them as they were because it is best historically to do that. Uh-huh. And I do like the contextualization of them now as this is a racist depiction and this is a harmful depiction. <coughs> Excuse me. It's Bugs Bunny in blackface, which shocked me the first couple of times I saw it. Um, because yeah. I, I hadn't remembered the episode from, from when I was a kid. Yeah. And it's like, he, it's one of the many when he's uh, knocking heads with Yosemite Sam. Yeah. And, uh, it's like the Disney, the Disney approach has been to completely censor their older racist 
movies like song of the south you can't find in the states yeah they they, and, they have been mm. talking about putting that on disney plus mm. but disclaimer and everything yeah, and i feel like they should i mean yeah. if they weren't ashamed of it then they mm. shouldn't be ashamed of it now well they should <laughs> well, well i'm saying right in in context with this day and age Right. putting up a disclaimer yes. and saying yes we did this this yeah. is why this is mm -hmm. in this time period this is how the how yeah. things were it was wrong then it's wrong now but we're putting it up because historically we don't want to just shy away and say hey no we yeah we never that film doesn't exist we didn't do that well, it's just kind of like if we draw some parallels and we talk about the depiction of women in cinema. Mm -hmm. Women have gone from, you know, the window dressing, clinging to the hero. Uh, you know, Trixie, don't be afraid. Oh, but I am. Um, you know, yeah. damsel in distress, an object to be won or rescued, uh, courted only so much as, you know, you would, I don't know, check over a horse to buy in some situations. Yeah. And now, cinematically, we're talking about, like, does this film pass the Bechdel test? Are there two women characters having a conversation not about a man with each other in a scene without a man? You know, does yeah. the film pass even that basic test? Uh, are the characters well-rounded? Do, do the, you know, is there a female-centric character? Is this... Yeah. And, and I... I like that progression. I like seeing that progression. And then when we go back and watch the older, older, older films, sometimes you get, sometimes you get depictions of women that are just absolutely vile. Um, but then occasionally yeah. you find a really amazing character that is played by this Titan of an actress mm -hmm. and you wouldn't have known otherwise if you hadn't gone back yeah. to watch this older film, which maybe has 16 other problematic things in it but you'd miss a really amazing performance so yeah i don't want my content so sanitized that i'm never called to think about it yeah yeah same but i would i do appreciate an acknowledgement that as we're learning as a society as we're coming further and further from a, a terrible violent childhood Mm -hmm. we're coming into being like, Hey, this was awful, but look, this one guy has a really great performance in this film or, yeah, you know, this is terrible, but there's a really good joke outside of the whole Bugs Bunny blackface thing. There's a really funny bit over here that mm -hmm. Mike Maltese yeah. wrote and it's amazing. Yeah. Um, I like, I like giving people the chance to take that and to see it in its entirety and draw their own conclusions and talk about it. Yeah. And what I'm also waiting on too, is for <coughs> people to, and hopefully this won't happen, but I've been waiting for someone to take offense that Bugs Bunny dresses up in women's clothes. Uh, yeah. Because I'm waiting for someone to sit you there know, and say, Bugs Bunny's poking fun of transvestites. Actually, that's, I'm surprised that nobody has, nobody's really taken umbrage with Bugs Bunny and drag before. I don't, I never thought he was making fun of, of people in drag, but I, 
I didn't either. Honestly, I, mean, I thought the, the joke was on FUD because FUD fell for it every single time. Yeah. But Bugs and Drag was hot. So, you know, it just, <laughs> you can't get around it. <laughs> oh, man. He was drawn well. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. Okay. <laughs> and on that note... <laughs> I think we're going to end this segment because we've gone far and away from <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe and the murders in the room org and, um, Maybe a little. yeah, to Bugs Bunny and drag. So we're going to wrap up this sec segment. Um, <laughs> can't talk. We're going to wrap this up and we'll be back in just a moment where we're, we're going to talk about, uh, movies for St. Patrick's day. So stay tuned. You're listening to Couch and Coffee Table. This is Couch and Coffee Table. Welcome back. Our fourth segment. Uh, for this particular segment, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, St. Patrick's Day movies. If you're into them or not, it's totally cool if you're not. But there's like two or three that I always think of for St. Patrick's Day. Get the chance to run or not. Three or four. Um, first one right off the bat is The Quiet Man. That is one that ran a lot whenever I was a kid. Usually it it was on somewhere right around St. Patrick's Day. It had John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara. I believe it came out in 52, but it might have been 53. Let's look it up. Uh, I know that they recently put it back into the theaters uh, I, uh, just this last weekend. And it was supposed to also have a showing today somewhere, but I don't know where. 52. It was 52. Okay. 1952 is whenever it came out. Shot in Ireland. And the director was John Ford. And I, I've always liked it. It's not your stereotypical John Wayne film, but it, it actually, I felt it really gave John Wayne a chance to sort of stretch his acting legs. I think that he was able to have uh, give a lot, really good performance and I can't say enough good things about the film. I think it's, if you're used to John Wayne, the cowboy and the Westerns and everything like that, I highly recommend it because it'll be, it's a nice change. It's a really nice change. I think it's probably my favorite John Wayne film. Oh. Uh, I never really saw a lot of his Western work uh, growing up. So it's it's one we watch almost every year in the Perry household. Um, I have Irish heritage, but no real direct ties uh, at the moment. So it was not um, it was not a huge holiday in my household growing up, which is sad, but um, as I've gotten older, I, uh, I'm more keen oh. on strengthening those ties. Like uh, a couple of years back, I 
was on the cusp of an Irish trip. I was going to get to go to Ireland and I was going to get to spend some weeks there uh, with college things. And then COVID happened and my trip did not happen. And I will be sad about that probably forever and a day until we managed to get there ourselves. But um, yeah, it's, it's a good solid film. Mm -hmm. um, you also almost always run Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Yes, yes. And I had never seen that until you showed it to me a couple years back. Yep. So it's not from my childhood, <laughs> but it is from yours. It is from my <laughs> childhood because it is, it is a, a really good film as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Walt Disney did that particular film in 1959, and it's got a very young Sean Connery. He's an infant. Uh, he sings. Yeah, he does sing, and it's pre-James Bond by at least a couple of years, two or three years. I mean, before he did this, he had done some stage work and was mainly a truck driver. <laughs> uh, yeah, really, I'm a truck driver. I didn't know that. Uh, that was what uh, Sean started out doing. But it's, it's a, again, it's a really good film. Uh, my introduction to it wasn't so much VHS or anything like that. In the 1970s, Walt Disney took a lot of their older films and were releasing them into theater again. So there was a lot of things oh. that they were releasing that, you know, you may not have had a chance to see them in the theater the first time because of reasons, because they were just an older film. So because of that, I got to see Darby O'Gill and Little People in my hometown Castle Theater nice. as a little kid. But mm. I also got to see the adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad mm. in the theater. So nice. I got to see The Legend of Sleepy Hollow mm -hmm. in a movie theater. And our local drive-in, same as the theater, also was doing this. So I can say I saw Mary Poppins at a drive-in <laughs> with Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke as a kid. So a lot of nice memories of the older films and everything. It it was always a very pleasant film. It's, it's very much a family film. It's pretty safe all the way around uh the next two i'm going to talk about maybe aren't so family friendly but very much very much in in the irish vein uh the next one i want to talk about has just it's got everybody and their brother as far as actors in it i forget the uh year it was released the name of it is michael collins and it has liam neeson Adrian Quinn, Alan Rickman, Julia Roberts. It's got, it's got so many different people in it. And it deals with the life of the revolutionary Michael Collins. 96. Ah, 1996 is when this film was uh, released. Warner Brothers did it. And it's, it's a very good film but it also can be difficult to watch because there is there is a lot of action there's a lot of different things uh 
I would compare it and say it is Braveheart for the Irish. Hmm. It's very much Braveheart for the Irish. If you want to give a synonym there. Uh, very nice film. All the same. If, if you can. It's not kid friendly. Yeah, I have never seen it because because of the, the blood and the violence and the blood the violence yeah. irish terrorism basically yeah. but it's yeah. but i mean it's a yeah, very important part of history and very a, important part of irish history and you know i don't want to disclose that and just stay with your kid friendly yeah. films for saint patrick's day i i was I didn't quite know how to ask this question, but like the first two films we mentioned, how offensive are those films to actual Irish people? Like how offensive are the depictions of the Irish? I think The Quiet Man is is pretty on the level. They did have a lot of Irish actors yeah, in that and Irish American born. I, I remember Maureen O'Hara was we watched a documentary yeah with she her she had dual citizenship at the time yeah. because she was from ireland yeah. so for her to go and shoot the quiet man she was going home yeah you and know from her recollections of the film it sounded like she wasn't horribly offended by some of the you know it sounded yeah. like it was a, a decent depiction of hey this is this is a, a story that would happen or not like yeah an offensive irish stereotype yeah um Darby O'Gill, uh, I, I don't know. I don't like, aside from the whole leprechaun business, I don't know. Uh, Darby himself is a caricature. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I don't know enough about the, the people and the culture itself. You know, I, I am very many steps removed from like, son of yeah. the soil from ireland so it, it's yeah. just but it, sometimes i wonder like you know what if, if we watch a, a youtube channel called the try channel there's a bunch of people from dublin who uh who try various things it's hence the name of the channel yeah um, they're hilarious yeah great channel if Shout you have the means yeah if you have the means check them out on youtube they're great subscribe awesome. to their channel because mm. you know it's it's very entertaining. It's fun. And they're about as honest as you can get a lot of times with their comments and everything. Very, very honest. Very colorful. Very oh, nice yeah. People. Very much so. Very funny. Uh, and they're all very clearly a group of very good friends. So yeah. That's really nice to watch them interact because you, you see that come out. And it's just, it, it's a very nice thing. Sometimes I wonder, like, if we showed them... If we showed them Darby O'Gill, what would they say? Yeah, yeah. I, like, I'd be afraid of that because I wouldn't want to, you yeah, know. Yeah, you don't want to offend people. But it's like it's a part of your childhood. Yeah. It's, um, maybe it's right back to Bugs Bunny. Um, <laughs> which just makes me think of the Porky Pig. Porky Pig cartoon of the leprechauns. Yeah. Like, hilarious, but, you know, probably problematic in some fashion yeah i don't know though i the cartoon you're talking about i i think if you ever get the chance to wearing of the grin is the name of it yeah and in that uh the head of the leprechauns has this amazing hat okay <laughs> that 
<laughs> Doesn't matter whether you're Irish or not. It's an amazing. Somebody hat. is going to want to wear that hat on St. Patrick's Day. I have always wanted to, to get you a hat like that. And it's maybe someday, maybe someday I shall manage. Oh, it, the, the it'll happen. Again. I hope <laughs> it'll happen. Uh, but yeah. Uh, and a lot of getting back to Michael sorry, Collins. Yes, no, Michael it's Collins. okay. Getting back to Michael Collins. I mean, a lot of people would sit there and say that that is Irish terrorism versus I, I would be quick to sit there and say, well, if we're, if we're going to go that route, because these are people that are fighting for mm -hmm. their country, would that be any different than if we watch Johnny Tremaine and we talk about American terrorism? Bingo. Food for thought. Just yeah. just throwing that out there. Just I, throwing that out there. I've also never seen John Tremaine. We probably can at some point if yeah. you'd like. Um, the last film is one that I watch it mainly because it has to do with a couple of Irishmen and their background. And it's called the Boondock Saints. <laughs> I wondered if you'd bring them up. I I really get a kick out of these guys, and you know, I I enjoy it because it's lightweight. I do. Let me let me just interject. Okay. Lightweight is not how I would. It's I guess it's kind of. The humor in the beginning here and yeah, there yeah, is, is yeah. what keeps it from being so completely dark like Michael Collins. Because yeah. Michael Collins, everything there is just, there, 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 is, there is funny moments, but not yeah. as light as in Boondock Saints. Yeah. One of the brothers in a scene in a bar, it's St. Patrick's Day, and he says, come on, it's St. Patrick's Day. Everybody's Irish tonight. I love that sentiment. That alone, I would sit there and want to have a wallet full of money, step up to the bar and just go, okay, let's, let's have some drinks flowing here. Let's <laughs> let the beer flow. Yeah. It's, um, there's a lot of guns. <laughs> yes. But, um, it is not, it is not a movie that takes itself seriously. So the violence is occasionally cartoon. Occasionally cartoon. There is some humor in that, but there's also... There, there is some there is some seriousness in in it and William Defoe is in that, isn't he? Yes, William yeah. Defoe is a police inspector, uh, a a police mm -hmm. detective. Excuse me. Deals in uh, I believe it takes place in Boston, so yeah. it is in the state. So he would be a police detective, not an inspector. Uh, Nineteen ninety nine. Nineteen ninety nine is whenever it came out, and yeah, Boston. It deals with two brothers, and it's I, I I like it, but again, it's one of those that I don't know if it would be completely kid friendly because there are oh, no. a lot of situations and a lot of different things. Uh, there's a point about a strip club, and you know, so you have two. The first two are kid friendly. The second two, maybe not so much. There has been a sequel for Boondock Saints. And I have heard that there is going to be a third, but I haven't heard anything else about it. So I hope that they get the chance 
to continue the story of the two brothers. I believe it's the McManus brothers is who they are in the oh, film. Let's see. I believe. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. I just. Uh... Oh, okay. But I very much hope that they get to do another one. Uh, there are two out now. Hoping for three, as long as there's a strong story to be told. I hope they continue on with oh. that. And I didn't. I don't think I've seen the second one. It is McManus. Yeah. Okay. And those those are four that I think of right off the top of my head. I don't believe Charlie Brown ever did a St. Patrick's Day uh, cartoon. He had Daddy would have ruined it. Yeah, there is that. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry. Well, I mean, your Christmas and your Halloween one. I'm jumping off topic here, by the way. Okay. Your Christmas and your Halloween, Charlie Brown, are both really good. But then you introduce Peppermint Patty in for Thanksgiving, and it's just after that, it just kind of, yeah. yeah. you, you really, I don't know. There's something about that character that just, you know yeah she's very abrasive well and i don't mind her being abrasive i just wish and i've known people both genders all kinds of people who are hard of listening okay yes they're hard of listening and peppermint patty very much has that and it is front and center for the thanksgiving one you can't just have a nice get together of sorts and you know but i digress uh but yeah those those were the four mainly that i wanted to talk about as far as thanksgiving uh there's one that you could have if you really are interested in the irish it could be a crossover but it's more of a halloween movie going back to that and that would be the film high spirits ah it's a good one and that has Peter O'Toole, that has Steve Gutenberg, Daryl Hannah. It's got tons of people in it. I mean, oh, and even if I don't mention who all is in each one of these films, it doesn't mean that they are any less of a good film, nor are the actors in it. The actors in all of these films put forth a fantastic effort. They really, all these films are high marks all the way around really good films but with high spirits it takes place mainly in halloween in ireland at a place called castle plunkett and they decide because they are short of funds that they need money to keep the castle going so they put in the trades in the press that the castle is haunted and then they try to scare the bejeebers out of the tourists that show up they fail miserably and so because of that, the actual ghosts of the castle decide, well, let's give the tourists what they came here for. And then they scare the bejubbers out of them. And in the middle of all this, there's a lot of comedy and fun stuff. And there is, a, it's not as scary, but it's still one of those that I would say, take a look at it before having your kids watch it just just uh, to make sure it, yeah i would not it's it's not a kid's film it's not like it's not overtly adult but it's 
there are elements of it that you know also has liam neeson again yeah liam neeson is a constant figure coming up in today's discussion we could just round it out and mention he's also in crawl if you wanted a, a really weird and somewhat terrible and corny science fiction film yeah I've been meaning to see the adaptation of Rob Roy he's in. I've never seen that. I have never seen that either. So that's that's one that I'm thinking about at some point. But yeah, he's but with Liam Neeson as well, he's in the original well, I won't say original, but he was in the John Borman's nineteen eighty film Excalibur. And so that's always interesting seeing him sitting beside Patrick Stewart. Really? Oh yeah. Yeah. With yeah, the Excalibur with the skull cap and Merlin. And yeah, yeah, the metal thing. yeah, yeah. He is one of the knights of the round table. Huh. Yeah, never able. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's really interesting to see him. You know, Qui Gon Jinn and Captain Picard sitting side by side at the knights of the round table. For those of you that are sci fi fans. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. boy. That's a colorful casting, if anything, Small right there. World. Yeah. Small world. But if you mm-hmm. see Kroll, you see him strolling along beside beside Robbie Coltrane, who yeah. is Hagrid. Hagrid from Harry Potter. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So for those of you playing Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, you're welcome. Um, right. What's well, like John Rice Davies? I, I will only and always and forever first think of John Rice Davies and the first role I saw him in, which was Rodriguez in Shogun. He was good in that. He, he was, was really good. good in that. So, I mean, even before Sala. And yeah. I, Sala is what I remember him from because that's what I first saw yeah, him in. Yeah, that was probably the first thing, but the first thing I remember him in is Rodriguez from Shogun. So, you know, when he was Gimli, that's all I could think of. Yeah. And I mean, Very he's, good a, he's Gimli. a good enough actor that he definitely oh, really good differentiates the characters. It's just yeah. when I see the name John Rice Davies, I'm like Rodriguez. And so Yeah, and I always think Sala. Yeah. But I also think of that same tone going back to Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark. There's so many quotable lines, but mm. I love whenever Marion kisses him and this great barrel baritone voice just starts singing on the dock. <laughs> it's wonderful yes. to hear. You'll yes. want to hand him a pint and sit down and drink and just say, I will pour the liquor down you. Just keep singing. I don't care <laughs> if you do Italian operas, Irish limericks. I don't care. I love someone with a good voice. I can't help it. I just can't. It's just fine. It is an endearing quality, sir. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but those are some of the Irish, um, Irish-themed, I guess I should say, films that I wanted to talk about yeah. that I... If I don't run on the day, I either try to do before, like a day or so before, or a day or so after, just because I'm still thinking about it and everything. On that, I would also like to say that I'm going to basically, do you have anything else you want to say? I don't don't think so. Okay. Um, Yeah, I I don't think it one day is enough days to be Irish. Well, Um, no, I mean... (laughs) I can so, you know, I'll run Irish music all all the rest of the oh, year. I, I mean, mean, you know, um, and it's it's a part of my own heritage. I would love to know more about and explore yeah. further. But 
as an as an American without much connection to that culture, I'm I'm always a little afraid of you know learning the wrong stereotype or learning right you know. <laughs> We, we have several Irish friends actually from Ireland and mm-hmm. lovely, they're lovely gentlemen, all of them. But uh, I've always been a little hesitant to, uh, to go deeply into it with them because I don't want to be like, how about them leprechauns, eh? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Just have them look at me like, oh my God, you're dumb. Or, yeah. you know, I can't believe you, you think this is what Ireland is about. Um, so you know, St. St. Patrick's for me is is always been a little weird, uh, not bad weird. Just I don't know what I'm doing with myself. Um, we we also try to celebrate Mardi Gras here, and I don't, yeah, actually I do have some French heritage as well. Now that I think about it, Luxembourg. Um, <laughs> weirdly enough, there is Luxembourgian royalty in my family line. Hmm. I always thought my parent was lying. Turns out they weren't. <laughs> so, um. You know, we talk about Mardi Gras, but it's also something I, I don't want to get weird or wrong or yeah strange. It's like, well, I have some of this heritage, but am I allowed to do X, Y, Z? Or is, uh, you know, on the tri-chain all day, they do scoff at the green beer. So, um, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's uh, you and I had, had talked about a few things we're going to do this evening. Sure, uh, yeah. Sometimes I make soda bread, sometimes I don't. Yeah. Sometimes I try to have some, some sort of lamb dish or yeah, springtime. So, I mean, lamb and lentil is classic for this time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, Easter hasn't happened yet, has it? No, that's next month. Okay. So, yeah, there's probably lamb in the grocery store. You could get all of it. It's yeah. tasty. It's expensive at Billio, but it's, it's Yeah, tasty. it is. Um, I don't know. I think, I think good food and, and good company and, and something oh, yeah. nice to drink is, is a really good, a really good thing to do anytime. Yeah. That, that shouldn't be just for that one particular <laughs> holiday. That can be all year round. And for yeah. that, I celebrate the Irish spirit all year round to be able to have good food and mm-hmm. just, you know. Yeah. A warm hearth and to be able to just enjoy the company for that i very much wish to i feel like the irish have perfected that and i am all for trying to do that myself i'm also quick to say that as far as my heritage um a lot of different backgrounds so basically the quick answer on me is i simply say i'm a mutt uh well you and me both but and growing up saint patrick's day around the house was special it was nice it was a holiday that we got into uh, we didn't always have a lot of irish decoration but a lot of it was more the spirit of the irish so there was the movies there was you know we we try and have like cabbage or something like this and just you know, have mm. have some baked bread. It may not have been soda bread, but it was mm. very much, you know, potatoes and things like this and just what what it was at the time because it is the 70s and 80s. You know, there wasn't a lot yeah. of material to know <laughs> what an authentic Irish <clears throat> St. Patrick's Day would be. Excuse me. And uh, I no think internet. that, <laughs> yeah, 
And I honestly think that the Irish would probably look at you and just go, it's whatever the hell you want it to be. That's I think that's yeah. what they would say. It's whatever the hell you want it to be, because for them, it's not just a day. It's a lifetime. Yeah. Just don't say Patty. Yeah. <laughs> it's Patty. <laughs> yeah. They uh, made that joke on the Tri Channel and said, ah, oh, two T's. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a fun. that's a sore spot. That's side of chips. <laughs> Seriously thought uh, if I were to say that around them, they somebody might swing on me or just go, Air, what's the matter with you? <laughs> you might get smacked upside the head. Yeah. <laughs> Lightly, just kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we're coming. We're coming to it. Yeah, so. we're coming to the end. And so we're going to say that we're wrapping up for this episode. And we appreciate you stopping by and listening in. Please come back anytime. There's always room on the couch. And we do appreciate you stopping by and listening in. And, you know, we hope that you will come back. Uh, if you enjoyed these episodes, you enjoyed this one, we've got plenty of other episodes for you to listen to in and around. Please listen to any one of those you feel like. Anything that strikes your fancy, we upload Mondays and Wednesdays. Brand new episodes. No kidding. <laughs> and on that, cheese. it can be with a side of cheese, I guess. I mean, you know. <laughs> or bacon. Oh, have some bacon. But until next time, take care. I'm Michael Perry. I'm Heather Perry. And we both want to wish you a happy St. Patrick's Day. And this has been Couch and Coffee Table. Bye. <laughs>